Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I am Charlie Sykes. It is today. It is January 6, 2021. We've had this date circled on our calendars for a long time. You know, even after all the craziness of the last four years, the news cycle today is going to be, well, it's going to be off the charts. Um, by the time you listen to this, who knows what will have happened? Look, we don't know uh, at the moment how messy, absurd, or violent it might get out there, but we do know this. Today is going to put this exclamation mark on the end of this Trump presidency, and it is going to be remarkable coming the day after uh, Republicans uh, stunningly lost two Senate races in Georgia, and with that lost control of the United States Senate. So as of right now, Donald Trump in one short term has lost the presidency. He's lost control of the House of Representatives for Republicans, and now the United States Senate, and he is poised to lose a big one today. So because I was going to say because schadenfreude is dangerous, but I guess there's, there's a real, there is a danger of too much schadenfreude here. So I just want to warn you before we start, because our guest today is Tom Nichols, the newly minted contributing, contributing writer to the Atlantic, which means by the way, Tom, that you're like officially like layered on elitism now, right? Right. Right. This is um, this is finally the crown of coastal elitism uh, that, you know, kind of outs me as a deep state operative, um, you know, so <clears throat> there's no more hiding it now. OK, so I, I confessed to you right before we started this, and this is a confession because I, I feel slightly guilty about saying this, but I'm actually kind of jiggy about today. See, I didn't I didn't think anybody from Wisconsin was allowed to feel jiggy, um, oh, yeah. but. That, um, you know, I, I kind of, I'm kind of with you on that. No, I mean, it, it could be really ugly. It's, I mean, there's going to be so much demagoguery and the showmanship and, uh, you know, and all the, the, the bloviating bullshit from the Josh Hollies and the Ted Cruz's and the Mo Brooks of the world. So it's going to be, you know, there's going to be all of that and things on the streets in Washington could get very, very ugly, but it feels like today is going to be, and this is what I wrote in my newsletter. It's kind of an exclamation mark on this the 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 immolation of trumpism you know what i mean i mean you know at the yeah. end of the day what's going to happen he he is going to lose the presidency again by a margin of 306 to 232 the vote in the senate is going to be overwhelming i mean i'm i'm willing to call my shot here there's going to be over 80 votes against trump's you know bitter last stand coup attempt and so you're going to look at that and go that is a huge bipartisan repudiation of the orange god king's uh you know attempt to overturn the election yeah i mean we shouldn't even have to note today this is a day that usually passes in american political life and nobody even knows it that it's a you know page 16 by the way the electoral college was you know counted and the votes went in and that was that uh, we simply, you know, it's part of the ritual of democracy that we've had the luxury of not paying attention to. Um, but there is going to be, I mean, there's already been violence. There was violence last night in the streets. This is why I've been trying to tell all the people that are um, so eager to counter protest the Trumpers to just stay home, let the cops handle it. Um, who knows what the president's going to do when he finally walks out on the portico um, and, you know, he may well throw a match into this gasoline can and, and make it worse. But this is also the moment where all of, you know, the, the Rube Goldberg schemes, all of the elaborate traps and, and idiotic 
um, gadgets that, you know, the James Bond villain comes up with all fail or all defeated. And you finally push the bad guy out of the airlock. Yeah, and, no, I, I, um, yeah. I think that's that's why we're both feeling a little, if I may say as well, jiggy. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it does feel like, you know, all roads have led to this moment. I'm looking at Axios right now. Here's a great sentence. Republicans who enabled President Trump with their silence and compliance are privately furious with him for blowing their Senate majority. Well, only if they had been warned. Right? I was just going to say, if only, <clears throat> if only someone had warned them. Gosh, if only there had been Republicans who could have stepped forward four years ago and said, you know, this isn't going to turn out well. But who could have seen it coming, Charlie, really? Yeah, I mean, you servile fuckers, too bad. I mean, you know, let's have a pity party for all of you. So let's talk about George. I, I have to confess, uh, I was really surprised. I just assumed I bought into the conventional wisdom uh, that Republicans were likely to win in, in, in Georgia because that's been the pattern for years. Right. So the defeat, well, I mean, look, I mean, there's been how many runoff elections and Republicans almost always win those runoff elections. And wow, uh, you know, Kelly Loeffler, one of the most deplorable people ever to be in the United States Senate, uh, beaten by uh, Raphael Warnock, who, by the way, is now only the second African-American ever to be elected to the United States Senate from the South. And it looks like David wow. Perdue is going down as well. I mean, this is this is this is really quite remarkable what happened in Georgia. And frankly, I think it's it's all Donald Trump. I mean, it, look, I mean, I'm not frank. I mean, it, it, it is all Donald Trump. And everybody seems to recognize that. Right. Well, I've been trying to warn Democrats already. Um, on Twitter, you know, uh, because there are some Democrats already saying, see, you know, our policies are really popular. People are buying what we're selling. And I'm like, no, what you were selling was not being Donald Trump and his Republicans. That's the mandate you have is to not be those guys for now. And, you know, Warnock and Ofsoff did that. I think they, they did the job that was required. I think politics, um, <clears throat> you know, politics is often um a game of you know it's like golf it's just they don't ask you how they just ask you how many and whether you got um you know from the tee to the cup and they did it and i think that's really admirable and you know there needs to be a shout out um i you know i've stayed away from all the adulation for stacy abrams but that was a remarkable get out the vote effort and like you charlie i my um, seminar yesterday asked me some some of my students said well, what do you think's gonna happen in georgia i said well clearing my throat as well as a political scientist uh you know relying on previous output out, out uh, turnout models and uh judging from her her, her you know and then mm -hmm. i said on the other hand i have never seen the sitting president of the incumbent party trashing his own candidates and basically telling his own party to stay away from the polls. Yeah. I've never seen it happen. So I had I have no idea how to predict what happens when a crazy pants president walks out and says that the whole thing is rigged and you shouldn't support this while lawyers who work for him are out there saying that you know the lizard people who faked the moon landing are using communist voting machines. I mean I, there, you know this defies any kind of rational analysis of politics and, and, at this point. And, and then of course he demanded then that purdue and leffler um go all in with him you know atta attacking brad raffensperger so they had to take a side in the in the republican civil war in georgia and they had to decide uh, they had to side with the crazy conspiracy theories and the sore loser president and 
that didn't work. Um, going back to your point, though, about the, the voter turnout, this is this is a huge story out of Georgia, is that the African-American turnout in Georgia was phenomenal. And you had these two guys, Ossoff and Warnock, uh, substantially overperform. Uh, largely because of this massive uh, turnout. And yes, Stacey Abrams and her organization um, d- deserve a great deal of credit. But also, this is also coming home to roost for the Republican Party, which has gone all in on voter suppression. I mean, they have internalized the idea. They want to make it as hard to vote as possible. They are no longer even pretending that they want to uh, suppress the, the vote. And the backlash was just epic. I mean, it is just a blow out the doors. Uh, kind of kind of turnout here. I, I just th- do think it's interesting. The knives are out. Um, I saw one. You, you probably saw this as well, but I don't have it right in front of me. Somebody was saying um, that the the the, the Senate, uh, what is it, the NRSC uh, National, the, the the Senate Committee, had been doing right. polling, and they they were reasonably confident that they were going to be able to hold those seats until Josh Hawley came out and said he was going to object to the Electoral College. And then suddenly the focus of the election turns from stopping Joe Biden to, you know, are we really going to go along with this this coup attempt? And we're getting reports out of Washington that Republicans are just furious about this. And the McConnell-aligned Republicans are just, they just want to beat the sh- crap out of Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz today. So I think it's going to affect the tone of the debate today and the vote um, on the, I, I think I, th- I think it will have, I mean, I don't know, is, is Kelly Leffler going to show up on the floor of the Senate today, having been uh, defeated and try she to said have she would. She's already said, she she said last night, I'm going to Washington to, you know, save Donald Trump. But I, I think it'll be interesting because um, there are, there, if Republicans were at all rational people, they'd be cowed by this. They'd be, they'd, they'd start to see, you know, they'd start to feel some icy winds beginning to blow. On the other hand, their opponents are the Democrats. Um, so they, you know, they may be just their goal may be to just tough it out until 2022 and think that the wilderness will last two years, which it which it may only last two years. Um, and but there a lot of those guys are going to be pretty salty today. I mean, they're go, they're going to feel like they, you know, went all in. They had to sign up for this. And I think we learned, you know, the everything Trump touches dies lesson again, which is that, you know, they had issues. I was betting on Leffler and Purdue. I thought, you know, there's no way that that Mitch is going to stop the two thousand dollar checks because that's going to be an easy sell. Purdue was already campaigning on, you know, how he'd help get aid to the, you know, the working poor of Georgia and all that stuff. And and Trump blew it all up as usual because he doesn't understand anything. It, I mean, he has been untouched by the by his time in office. He is still the guy he was when he was yes. seven years old, and he's still the guy he was four years ago. But I wanted to make one additional point about suppression. And you're right, Charlie. But you know, the GOP has decided that um, you know counting votes is for is for chumps and suckers. But I I think this proves a point that I've been making all along, which is that the GOP counts on suppression and gerrymandering and all of that other chicanery because they are always counting on marginal elections. They're mm-hmm. always counting on Democrats doing the thing Democrats do best, which is not showing up for elections. And you can overcome all these problems if you show up in numbers. 
which is what the the people of Georgia proved. And if they keep doing this with things like local and state elections, that will solve a lot of the other problems about suppression and gerrymandering and voter laws, because you can't just do this every two to four years. You have to show up. You have to show up for those state uh, legislative elections because that controls redistricting and local ordinances about voting and polling places and all of that stuff. But it can be done. That's what we've been learning since 2019. If you show up, you will win elections. This is what Republicans always knew. And Democrats, I hope, are learning that lesson now. Okay, this is going to be a slight digression, but one of the big losers, and of course, I'm going to you know play my own Wisconsin card. Ron, Ron Johnson has got to be looking at those numbers and being going, uh-oh, because he's up for re-election next year. And one of the things that we are seeing is that these issues motivate Democrats to turn out in massive numbers. They turned out in massive numbers in 2018, massive numbers in 2020. And uh, he's going to be up for election. There's also the governor's race up for election in Wisconsin. But the Senate race is going to be the main event here. There's a target on his back and uh, it will overshadow the governor's election. Republicans, I was talking to Republicans uh, last night and they've been assuming that the off-year election would be good for Republicans, right? Off-year elections are good when there's a Democratic Because they usually are. And the Democratic governor here in Wisconsin is, is really kind of, you know, weak. He's kind of a damn squib. Um, and they th- they re- have been very, very optimistic about taking back the governor's race. But now suddenly it's like if Ron Johnson runs for reelection, th- that sucks all the oxygen out. All of the money's going to pour in. The turnout will be presidential election. Uh, and, and so it's uh, it's very bad news. I, I don't know that Ron Johnson's going to run for reelection now. Um, and by the way, he's being pounded by the media here. It is just if if he votes today to disenfranchise his own voters. This guy is done. Okay, I just wanted to briefly walk through something. So now Republicans, before we get to the whole Mike Pence, what's going to happen with the Sedition Caucus and everything, you know, clarify what it means to have a 50-50 Senate. Because I I think in in some ways it changes everything, but not as much as people think. Uh, Because, you know, Mm. what it it will do, I mean, now Joe, this this is huge for Joe Biden. I mean, it's just his ability to do things. Yeah. I thought you were going to say Joe Manchin. No, no, no. It's big. No, it's big for <laughs> Joe Manchin. Well, it's interesting you bring up Joe Manchin because there are people out there going, "Oh my God, this radical socialist communist agenda that they're going to ram through." No, um, Joe Manchin is still in the United States Senate, and actually, it is the centrists now who will hold the balance of power. The big advantage for Joe Biden is that now they will get votes on things that Mitch McConnell will no longer be able to sit on nominations, will no longer right. be able to keep things from coming to the floor. Um, and that, that is, that's huge. It's, it's impossible to overstate that. So they can push through the, the, uh, their nominees, their judicial picks. Uh, they can control what comes to the floor and when, uh, that's things like my advice. Yeah, the stimulus checks. The reason Mitch McConnell didn't let it come up to a vote is he knew that it would have passed if it had come to a vote. It will now come to a vote. On the other hand, um, it does not mean that they're going to end the filibuster, pack the courts, admit Puerto Rico as a state um, or pass some massive Green New Deal. Those things, those big things are not necessarily going to happen. But Joe Biden, if he holds Democrats together is going to be able to get a lot of things done that he otherwise would not have been able to do. And he doesn't have to kiss Mitch McConnell's rear end to get them done. You know, in a way, um, you know, and I'm, this may sound like I'm trying to be overly optimistic, which is totally out of character for me, 
But if the if the big worry that people had about voting for Biden and the Democrats is that, you know, this was going to turn into the Green New Deal and reparations and admitting 14 new states to the union and all that stuff. Um, the fact that the Senate is going to be 50 50 with Harris as the tiebreaker means that you're going to get a lot of negotiation and compromise and centrist policy and exactly. in fact gets Biden off the hook for having to deal with a lot of the kind of you know um non-starter stuff that would have been a distraction had there been a larger democratic um win in the Senate so you know it's almost it may also it may almost be that this is a case where you know Biden and his team can say you know my heart's with you on a lot of these other things but let's do the things we can do, like get judges through, make sure that um, executive uh, confirmations get through, that you know stimulus checks get through, the kind of uh, you know everyday prosaic business of government stuff, because we're not going to get you know the the big um, projects that were that frankly were scaring people away from the Democratic Party. In the first place, I mean, this could be a real opportunity for, a, you know, a bit of party discipline and yes. focus for the Democrats. And then in 2022, if they can knock off somebody like Johnson um, and, you know, you're from Wisconsin, Charlie, I don't understand Ron Johnson. I mean, I, I've, I've vacillate between, is he really that stupid? Is he that mendacious? Is he that, you know, I just have no idea how to how to make sense of somebody like Ron Johnson. But then you have a better argument in 2022 for saying, look, add help, help us do even better at this and add to our majority. Um, and we promise you that what we're doing, we continue to do is the people's business and to govern like adults. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be able to explain Ron Johnson to you. And I know him at one point knew him uh, quite, quite well. So, Tom, I, I'm going to tee up an argument that I want to have with you a little bit later, a, a disagreement, or at least a let's go through the performative disagreement about uh, burning it all down, given what's going to happen today. But before we do this, I want to talk about Mike Pence and this whole thing, the the the, the end game here, where you have Donald Trump tweeting out, if, uh, if Vice President Mike Pence comes through for us, we will win the presidency. Many states want to decertify the mistake they made in certifying correct, uh, blah, 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 not approved by the state legislatures. Mike can send it back. So he is all in on this notion that the vice president can unilaterally refuse these electoral college votes. Now, this is amazing because this is completely false. It, no one, no sentient human being really thinks that, that this is going to happen. I mean, so, but you got to think this through. I mean, and this is what I wrote in my newsletter. I said, of all the moronic takes, in, in this sea of insanity and stupidity we've seen, the president of the United States is now embracing the most absurd because the vice president does not have the unilateral power to overturn election. Otherwise, I'm thinking Richard Nixon and Al Gore might have done some things. Even Josh Hawley thinks this is a stupid idea. But I mean, then when you think about this, he has tried everything else and everything has failed. I mean, he's lied about the election. He's lied about the process. He tried to get his own Department of Justice to investigate and find fraud. They didn't. He went to the courts. He lost, you know, every single case he had, uh, more than 60 cases, you know, at, at every level, state, federal, federal appeals court, U.S. Supreme Court. He tries to get the legislatures to nullify. He fails. He tries he's trying to get the Republicans to vote, you know, to not certify the election. He's failed. 
he tries to get people like Brad Raffensperger to recalculate and find him the votes he needs. He fails. So now the president is embracing this Louis Gohmert stupid level notion of having Pence throw out the election. So there, <laughs> there's Mike Pence, who has been the ultimate loyalist sycophant, and he has been set up to be today's biggest chump. I mean, it is an amazing moment. Well, first, I love the qualifier I, uh, that um, we can now use an expression like Louis Gohmert level stupid <laughs> right? Um, because it's just so evocative and it kind of covers all the bases. Um, you know, this will anticipate the the uh, argument we'll have about burn it all down. But what Republicans needed to be doing was to stand up, um, you know, put out statements, stand in the well of the Senate and say, um, what the president is suggesting is flatly not just unconstitutional, but anti-constitutional. It's anti-American. It's anti-democratic. It is borderline seditious um, because, the you know, the Constitution is clear. The president shall, in the presence of the Congress, open the envelope and he shall okay. count, count the votes, period. Yeah. Um, there is no provision for any of this. This is this is Louis Gohmert, Charlie Kirk level stupid. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that Republicans are basically quietly all saying, look, let's just get through it. Look, your duty, your duty in a constitutional republic is not just to muddle through it. You've sworn an oath to the Constitution that at a moment like this, your job is not to just see if you can survive to the next moment. You stand up and you say, I am defending the Constitution. This is an anti-constitutional idea. It will not happen. I call on everybody involved in, you know, around the president, the vice president, everybody. And instead, these Republicans have interpreted their duty as, well, you know, just let him talk and, you know, Mike will do the right thing. We don't know if Mike Pence is going to do. I think he will. I don't think he has any. First of all, Mike Pence is not that creative. Um, you know, they're going to hand him the envelope. He's going to be sitting there in front of uh, a majority of the opposition party. And he can he either says, I'm counting these votes or, um, you know, tears up the envelope, at which point I think the House impeaches him. On the, if it were if I were running the House, I'd impeach him on the spot. Um, but, you know, at some point you have to say something more than, well, you know, He's a they, they all sound like Republicans to me all sound like the mother trying to explain why her son is not an arsonist to the school principal while the kid is still in the hallway lighting wastebasket fires. You know, well, you have to understand and he's working through it and we're getting him help and, you know, he'll graduate next year. And I'm sure he meant, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, just stand up and say unconstitutional, no provision for it. Um, the president needs to stop this and start planning for his return to private life. The end. Yeah. And then they should have done that a month ago or, or two or, or two months ago. So going back to Mike Pence though, I mean, so he, Mike Pence goes in and he has lunch with the president leaves and they immediately sort of leak the story that Mike Pence has said, look, I'm not going to do this. I don't have the power to do this. Nobody thinks I do. It's illegal. It's unconstitutional. Um, it would, uh, it would earn me a place in historical infamy. And that story is out there. Um, and then late last night, Trump issues a statement, which is so sloppy, they even get the year wrong, saying, no, no, it's not true. Mike Pence is totally on board and everything. And he's tweeting yeah. all of this out. Look, I mean, I, I mean look, I'm not expressing any sympathy for Mike Pence here at all. 
but there's no way he wins Un- unless he's figuring, you know what, I will throw him something. I will stand up there and I will um, open this bogus certification letter from Arizona and then I will let the Congress vote me down. And then I could say, see, I tried, but they just didn't go to, along with me. But to what um, end? To, to, to what end? To uh, what end is to stay in the good graces of the MAGA flying monkeys? Well, d- Mike Pence. Uh, does Mike Pence, <clears throat> you know, we were we were talking about Ron Johnson a minute ago. Here's a question about Mike Pence. Does Mike Pence just not understand that his career in politics is over? He's done. These guys never understand that. They never understand that. You know, I I, I think one of the most important attributes for success in, in modern American politics these days, and in maybe in American culture these days, is a total lack of really genuine self-awareness. I mean, the level of yeah. self-delusion is, so I, I don't, I don't know. I'm thinking maybe he thinks that he can throw out some rhetoric, you know, about I was deeply disturbed by all the reports of blah, 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 you know, just, just, you know, throw that out, but then do the right thing. I don't know. Okay. So you would think that there, there should, shouldn't there be someone around Pence who says, Mr. Vice President, this is going to be your last public act as an elected official. And the way you go out is to stand up and to be remembered in history. As the man who finally said, look, I did my duty by the president that I was elected to serve with. I defended him. I, you know, I, I uh, stayed away from a lot of his controversies. I did what I could behind the scenes. But in public, in my last minutes here as a public official with my last official duty, I am going to stand up and I am going to speak for the Constitution and stand on the side of the rule of law and constitutional order. And that will be my legacy as I leave office instead of this kind of what is the last kind of craven trembling thing that I can do that will earn me, you know, this, this final place in infamy in the history books. And as you say, you know, this lack of self-awareness there, is it that, I mean, does Mike Pence really looking at 2024 and saying, yeah, this will work for me. Donald Mm -hmm. Trump, Donald Trump will go to the go to you know and Don, and if and if the president doesn't run for re-election, Don Trump Jr. is going to get out there on the hustings for me. So I mean, what? How crazy is all that? Well, but but he has been craven every minute of every day for the last four years. Every single time when he had to make that decision of whether to stand up or not, he made the other decision. So in your in your fantasy story, Tom, uh, <laughs> you imagine him saying. Uh, I will stand up, you know, and, you know, do the right thing. So was, in, in my fantasy story, and this is a fantasy story, you know, one of his top aides, Mark Short, walks in and says, uh, Mr. Vice President, um, you can't do this. You need to man up and make it clear that you're, you're, you're not going to violate the Constitution. And at that point, Mike Pence, silent, just taps a little box on his desk, just taps the box. And Mark Short, or whatever aide, see, I'm making this story up as I'm going along here. Says, "What, what, what, what is that, Mr. Vice President? What's why? Why are you tapping that box?" And Mike Pence says, "That's where I put my testicles four years ago, and they've been <laughs> in that box. And I, w- I would stand up. I would, I would, I would man up here, except." You know, I basically put my balls in that box four years ago, and I can't take them out. Can't can't reattach them now. That's my because <laughs> I don't have the key. I don't have the key and I don't have the technology to, to do that. Okay. So you want to have a fight? Sure. No, I mean, I'm, I'm just kidding. So uh, for, for listeners understand 
and, and I think this will be the most interesting part of the, the discussion because you and I actually agree on this. You know that I was part of the, the Burn It Down Caucus. Now, you basically founded the Burn It Down Caucus. I mean, you were like way ahead of me on all of this. I mean, you were talking about this long before I came around. And I did eventually come around. And in the last, um, I shouldn't, I'm not sure they quoted about this, but I, mean, I think, you know, since November 3rd, there's been a real radicalization, even among, you know, people who've been wavering on this because the Republicans have been so horrible, allowing and enabling what's going on here. But you were saying before that, you know, Republicans needed to stand up and say, this is wrong. We're not going to do this. And in fact, Tom, I'm just, okay, so we agree on all of this, but I, but I just want to play devil's advocate on this and on, on a couple of things here. In, in fact, Republicans are saying this. In fact, I think over the last 48 hours, what you've seen is you have seen these green shoots of Republicans willing to remember what it meant to be a Republican, what it meant to be a constitutional conservative. Liz Cheney has been as forceful as you can possibly be on this. I would I would argue this. She put out a tweet saying, we have sworn an oath under God to defend the Constitution. We uphold that oath at all times, not only when it is politically convenient. Congress has no authority to overturn elections by objecting to electors. Doing so steals power from the states and violates the Constitution. Okay, one after another, senators have come forward and said there's been 25 of them, whether you're talking about, you know, Senator Roy Blunt, John Boozman of, uh, of Montana issued a statement saying not one of the lawsuits filed found evidence of widespread fraud or irregularities. Richard Burr, uh, Shelley Capito, uh, Bill Cassidy, uh, you know, even Tom Cotton coming out and saying, look, th th this is just wrong. We cannot do this. This would violate our oath of office. So at this moment, one of the reasons to be you know, even like a vaguely optimistic about what's going to happen today is the fact that there are people still in the Republican Party that are willing to say thus far and no farther. But so these are the people that you want to burn down. I mean, shouldn't we be encouraging them? Should we be giving attaboys to Deb Fisher from, you know, Nebraska or John Hoven from North Dakota or, you know, James Inhofe from uh, Oklahoma? I mean, come no. on. I mean, there, there are we are finding out that there are some who, if there's going to be a Republican Party, th this is going to be the basis, and we're going to see the start of this today. Uh, no. Next question. Uh, I don't fully believe the, that, but I want to discuss well, it. Here's the thing. You know, um, first of all, after we both saw, I think, the tape of what Mitt Romney went through uh, in an airport and on a plane yesterday with people openly harassing him, yeah, um, you know, if you're talking about somebody like Mitt Romney or, you know, Charlie Baker, um, I'm not even that high on Larry Hogan anymore after that stunt of writing in Ronald Reagan. But, yeah. you know, for people who said from the beginning, you know, this is what it means to be a Republican. This is what it means to be an American constitutionalist. Sure. The problem is all of these, you know, you say they've done everything they can. First of all, they waited until the very last minute. And they didn't do everything they can. If you really want to see a profile in courage, um, you know, if Liz Cheney feels that that strongly about it and Kevin McCarthy opposes it, then she can caucus with somebody else. Um, or they can take some of these guys like Holly or Gomert or the rest of these uh, uh, people and deprive them of their committee assignments. Instead, what we're getting is the Susan Collins um, there was somebody on Twitter who, who, some wag on Twitter who said, welcome to the Susan Collins instance. 
you know, that this is the resistance through strongly worded tweets and furrowed brows. And, you know, you and I, Charlie, both, um, um, you know, you congratulated me on this um, Mm -hmm. new title with The Atlantic. But one of my favorite things that I ever wrote, I wrote for you which was a kind of an homage to the uh, screw tape letters. Oh, I love and, that. That was so good. And, and when you brought up these Republicans at the last minute, um, it reminded me of the very last screw tape letter where uh, um, screw tape says, and I have it right in front of me, how mistakenly now that all is lost, you come whimpering to ask me whether the terms of affection in which I address you meant nothing from the beginning. Um, and that's how I feel about the Republicans. Now that all is lost, now that the, the party has been destroyed, now that conservatism has been smeared and deformed and become this Trumpist nightmare, now we're supposed to say, well, you know, Liz Cheney did her basic duty of saying, no, I won't violate the Constitution. And we're all supposed to jump to our feet and to say, oh, congratulations for not violating the Constitution. This is the very minimum of your job. This was the very least that you could do. And, you know, a strongly worded tweet and a statement to me, you know, when we are days, hours from uh, two thirds of the House caucus mm-hmm. violating the Constitution and arguing that, you know, the Congress has the right to overturn the states and pick the president. It's just not enough. I'm sorry. It's it's just, they don't, I feel bad for somebody like Mitt Romney. I think he genuinely was anguished. I think he, you know, voted his conscience. Um, I think, you know, for someone who spent 60, you know, he's a 60 something year old man. He spent his entire adult life in the Republican party. You you know, you and I both know how hard it is to turn on your own party. Um, It's it's, It's very hard not. I don't disagree with you, but let's, let's take um, somebody that we don't have like emotional investment in. Like I, I don't ever think about Kevin Kramer, John Hoban. Do you? I never think about those guys. No. So it's North Dakota. I know nothing about North Dakota politics, except that I'm guessing that 90% of the communications that these guys have gotten tells them object to the electoral college count that they're getting inundated by the Republican base and that there's a very real chance that they will be primaried and that they would be defeated in a Republican primary because they took this one principled stand. So yes. Um, the, so here's the question. That's the Senate's job. Just, just, I get that. The Senate's we, job is yeah. to not be responsive to these populist waves. That's why they get six year terms. That's why they're the upper house. They're, you know, again, we're applauding them for doing what they're okay. supposed to be doing all along. All right. But I'm, I'm, I'm just going ahead on the tape here. So when these guys are being challenged by the next generation of Kelly Leff- Lefflers and uh, Tommy Tubervilles, you know, what is our position? I mean, you don't want the Republican Party dominated by people like Marjorie Taylor Greene or Madison Cawthorn or some of these other hacks. I mean, this is the problem is that if you if you burn it all down, then you provide no incentive whatsoever for these guys to do the right thing, even on occasion. You well, know what I'm saying? I mean, do, I mean, yeah. you can imagine two senators, two Tommy Tuberville um, level senators, uh, two, uh, you know, uh, or, or, or you know, Mike Braun or, or Marsha Blackburn. She's my favorite here. <laughs> 
Mar- Marsha Blackburn <laughs> coming from, I mean, do you want 20 Marsha Blackburns? Yes. And I'll tell you why. Okay. How, how's that? Um, okay. Because, you know, I, I started my career uh, studying Soviet politics. And of course, our former colleagues on the right are all accusing you and me and others of being socialists. But one thing I will take away from the politics of the left is the sharpen the contradictions idea. I argued back in 2016 when people were talking about going to work for Trump and we'll work from the inside. And I, I, and you know, you can ask some of the people who were in meetings with me about this. I said, do not childproof the government. If he's going to crash this thing into the ground, let's get on with it. Let's let it happen. And the, the sooner the better. And you've seen since then, um, that there are people who have come out. Um, I think Sarah Flores actually wrote a piece where she said, we all thought we were doing the country, you know, doing right by the country when in fact we should have let him fail, when we shouldn't have been insulating the country from the real effects of Donald Trump. And I feel the same way about this Republican Party. I don't think you can sustain the party and rebuild it by leavening the occasional Mitt Romney or Kevin Kramer or Rob Portman in there because for two reasons. First of all, with people like Portman and others, when crunch time comes, nine times out of 10, they buckle anyway because they're scared of the mob. Um, and for the other, the other reason is that it gives top cover to voting for the crazies exactly on this argument of saying, but you know, the party still can be a kind of a moderating influence. Look, if the Republican Party wants to go full nutter, if they want to go full conspiracy theory, kook, right wing, you know, full goose bozo crazy, then let's get on with it so that all of those yeah. people can get voted out and new people can challenge them. But, you know, we keep worrying. You, 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 assume, though, you assume, though, that people will see this and will vote them out. This country needs two rational, non-crazy political parties, and the Republican I, Party is not going to go away. It may I agree, Charlie, but the question is how to though. get there. The question is, how do we get there? And I think the way that you get a more rational party, you know, we keep worrying about the established Republicans getting primaried out of their seats. I think we should create an environment in which the Marjorie Taylor Greene types have to worry about getting primaried out of their seats. Oh, I would hope so. Speaking of which, speaking of which, see, this is this is my my, my concern about what's happening to the Republican Party. I mean, I, look, I, I I generally agree with you on all of this. In fact, I think there's going to be a split screen. I'm I'm looking at all of these Republicans uh, senators who are standing up ag- against this, you know, and I, I think it's going to be eighty twenty. I mean, you know, from my lips to God's ears, maybe it'll be eighty five fifteen. It will be a huge rebuke um, of of Donald Trump in the Senate and a strong majority of the Republican senators voting against Trump's coup attempt. So that's going to be good. But, but also as you made reference to in the house, it's going to be a completely different story. I mean, Kevin McCarthy is turning out to be an incredibly deplorable, uh, corrupted uh, leader in, in the house of representatives. And I got to tell you, it, it's, it's, it's going to be uh, appalling to see the number of Republican congressmen who uh, vote uh, you know, in favor of this. See, but Mike, given the fact that the Republicans are going to be around, the is the next wave going to be the Marjorie Taylor Greens or the Laura Bobbitts or this Madison Cawthorn who is turning out to be just one of the worst demagogues? By the way, we have a little soundbite, Tom, uh, from uh, Madison Cawthorn, one of the uh, new uh, deplorable Republican members of the House of Representatives. This is Madison Cawthorn. 
My friends, I want you to chant with me so loud that the cowards on Washington, D.C. that I serve with can hear you. While I leave, let's get a chant so Donald Trump knows who supports him. USA! USA! Okay, the cowards. See, this is it's, yeah. it's, it's not principle; it's cowardly. You're either courageous or, or you're cowardly. You know, I mean, I I, I got to say the the thing that really disturbs me is that there is, and I never would have even guessed this, even even when I was writing, you know, my book about the how the right lost its mind, the number of sort of overtly fascist <laughs> voices there are out there. You know, Charlie Kirk, um, you know, Madison Cawthorn, uh, you know, th these folks that frankly are like. Yeah, screw the facts or evidence, everything. We should just, you know, you know, bring in the or others who say bring in the military or uh, you know uh, invoke the Insurrection Act. I mean, this is a dangerous moment. So I agree with you to burn it down, but we will rely on Republicans who have not completely lost their minds to save the republic at some point. Well, let me throw a, a hypothetical back at you. All right, not yet, not a hypothetical, a theory. Because, you know, you and I both found ourselves politically orphaned in all this. And we've both had to take a lot of um, razzing from people on the left saying, well, you know, it was always like this. And you guys haven't been a decent party since Eisenhower and Reagan did this and blah, blah, blah. Okay. The one place where I think there is some element of truth in this and the mistake that I fear we could make again is that. The crazy caucus got larger because people like you and I looked at each other and said, yeah, but we're the majority of the party. I mm -hmm. mean, yes, every party has its kooks. Every party has its loons. Um, you know, the, the Democrats have, you know, their Cynthia McKinney types and we have our, you know, Louis Gohmerts and that's just the way it is. But we're the sensible, um, primarily <clears throat> Northern and Plains and New England Republicans, we're kind of the sensible center of the party. We, well, that that turned out to not be true, Charlie. Yeah, right. And if that, and if it's really true that the Republicans have become this regional party of racist, authoritarian um, statism, then let, as I said, let's get on with it. Let's just let them be that party. Take their case to the American people get voted down. See, that's the thing. I'm more confident that they will finally be rejected and I don't want to give them top cover. Okay. But I don't they, want to give, they them, weren't, I want to give them protection. But here's the, here's part of the message of 2020 is that these people who <clears> had completely <throat> disgraced themselves, who had gone all in, were not in fact held accountable. I mean, these were people who, who voted to keep Donald Trump in office, who voted against hearing witnesses, and many of them did get reelected. So Right. I mean, Georgia is the counter argument they played here. that game that we're talking about right now, where Susan Collins said, <clears throat> you know, well, I had to do the thing I had to do because judges and because, you know, I'm really a very reasonable person, except when the Constitution is at stake. And at that point, I become a complete coward and will betray, you know, my oath. And, and you know, the argument from a lot of folks out there. Um, was, well, <clears throat> you need to keep Susan Collins in the Senate because otherwise you're stuck with all of the anti-constitutional crazies. To which my answer is, you know, when the Constitution is at stake, how is Susan Collins any different from Ted Cruz or, or Josh Hawley? I mean, well, in terms of pure voting records, she's indistinguishable from them. Well, and also I think the, the strongest argument, though, 
of, especially really since the election, well, actually for the last several years, is that the Republican Party should not be in a position of power. So you know, there are some people saying, "How does you? How can you support you know the Democrats in in Georgia?" It's because because I do not want to empower this party that is embracing the crazy, uh, the right. cruel, and the stupid the way that it is right now. And you vote for any Republican senator right now, and that is a vote to put Republicans in charge of things. And we've seen what they do when they have power, when they're you know, chairman of committees. And they have disgraced themselves. So I'm, I'm, I am with you there. You know what? I'm, I'm kind that of. That was my I, argument in 2018, by the way, no, when I said, I said, look, this is the Republicans are now a parliamentary party where they operate completely on party discipline and a party leader who controls their ranks. And that every vote for every Republican, even Mitt Romney at the time, every vote for every Republican is functionally a vote for Donald Trump. And a lot of Republicans resisted that. But I think, you know, time has proven that 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 turned out to be true, especially with the number of Republicans, even now, who are buckling in the face of an outright authoritarian challenge to to the Constitution itself. All right. I don't, I don't want to encourage too much optimism here because I know that that might strain a muscle for both of us. Um, but <laughs> it, it, I have been in the camp um, along with uh, with Jonathan Last of saying that Trump is forever. The Trump will continue to have his control over the party. The party will not mm-hmm. break away from him. I'm starting to have some doubts about this, um, or at least possible doubts, given what's happening today will happen later today. But also, as, the, as Trump embraces the far fringes of the fever swamp, not just the mainstream of the, the Trumpian right wing. I mean, this is sort of like the demented versus the deranged that, that he's, that he's gone so far that, that he's in the process of marginalizing himself. He's going out in a way that makes it less likely that he'll run in 2024. What happened in Georgia is the one is the one bit of evidence of data point that Republicans seem to understand and care about, which is that being associated with him loses elections. So mm. I do I'm I, the willingness of so many Republicans to now speak out against this coup attempt is a little tiny flicker that in fact um, they're they're. Trump might be more diminished than we think. I mean, I think the conventional wisdom is he's more powerful than ever. But the way he's leaving office, I mean, this is the most disgraceful, deplorable exit. There's no, there's no grace. There's no. It's weak. It, it's also, it's you know, weak, which is something his supporters despise. And a lot of Republicans, I think, would have liked to have said, you know, spend time talking about his legacy. Hey, let's, you know, spike the football about the judges and the Supreme Court and all of those things and regulations and everything. You're not hearing that because, you know, no. with the exception of the like really the hardcore, you know, Madison Cawthorn and Charlie Kirk types, you know, the the Seb Gorkas of the world, they're looking at this and and, the, and, the, Hugh and they're and, Hugh Hewitt and they're appalled. The yeah, f- this is what is wrong I, with Hugh Hewitt, by the way. I, you know, I I don't know. I mean, it's um. You know, for someone who built his whole brand on, I'm one of the intellectual conservatives. He has, he's basically become uh, Louis Gohmert without the accent. Um, but I, I, I'm actually a little more optimistic than you. And of course, everyone in the world is more optimistic than JVL. Um, but J- Jonathan Last has always been my spirit animal through all of this. Uh, but on this, I, I am more optimistic than Jonathan is because I don't think Trumpism is sustainable. I think that cults of personality burn brightly and then burn out. They, they are difficult. They don't transfer. They don't scale. Um, and I think that Trump is going to have troubles 
that people aren't really thinking ahead about. For example, we're going to find out a lot of stuff about Donald Trump's health, I think. I think a lot of people are going to just rat him out the minute he's no longer president about his health, about his money, uh, about his financial troubles. I mean, the tell-alls, if you think we've seen some you know, pretty caustic tell-alls as books, um, they're all going to come out now, and a lot of them are going to be produced by a Republican Party that is going to want to, you know, sow garlic in his mouth and bury him facing east, um, you know, underneath a tub of holy water because they don't want him back. I mean, there are ambitious Republicans that don't want to deal with this anymore. And I, I have never been I've actually been one of the people that, that have said, I think he goes the Pat Robertson route. I think he opens up his own TV station and he runs an 800 number and the Rubes send him money. And he, you know, for a while, the way Robertson was back in the day becomes something of a, you know, an influence. But I, I, I think he burns out a lot faster than you know, people realize. I, I, I think that it's very, very possible in a, in a couple of things. Num, num, number one, um, people do underestimate um, all the problems he faces, the legal problems, the financial problems, all of those things. Uh, you know, Donald Trump without the trappings of, of office is by definition uh, diminished. But also the and notion no one that, that better than Trump. So he, exactly. I think he fully understands that um, of the few things he fully understands. But the point also that you made is that Trumpism is not really transferable. There is no Trumpism without Trump because Trumpism is incoherent. There are no principles. It is completely malleable. And so the notion that Ted Cruz or Tom Cotton or Josh Hawley can be the next Trump, I think, is ridiculous because Trumpism is not about policy. It is not about ideas. It is about this Trump. persona. You take out the persona. And these guys are, I mean, they're, they're you know. I'm sorry, they're just weak, you know, weak, weak substitutes. So I don't see, so Josh Hawley thinks he can write an article for American greatness and he could put out these various statements and suddenly, you know, people will flock to him. No, that's not what they are looking for. And so Trump himself, I think become, and so if you try to be purely Trump without Trumpism, then it's kind of naked. It's the stupidity, it's the cruelty, it's the bigotry, it's the, you know, just the, you know, deplorable personality. And I'm just not sure that anybody right now is in a position to pull that off. You, oh, saw, oh, that, you saw that in Georgia last night. I mean, well, exactly. you saw you know, Trump, Trump goes to a rally and says, uh, all right, win one, you know, win one for the Gipper and get out there. And um, I think actually a lot of Trump voters remember that a lot of Trump voters were not voters before Trump came along. And I think that they're going to opt out of politics uh, once Trump is gone, because the you know the show's over, the credits are rolling, the end theme music is playing. Um, they know when a TV show has had its finale, and they're going to go back to doing the other stuff they're doing. I mean, it takes. I think we, you know, normal people are are rightly panicked at the conspiracy theorists and the general kookery going on, but it, it's important to point out that. Those conspiracy theories and the kind of, you know, the Marjorie Taylor Greene stuff, it takes a huge output of caloric uh, expenditure to maintain belief and commitment to that stuff. And most people just don't have it in them. This well, stuff also, actually burns out. And, 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 and presuming that, that Joe Biden governs the way he has run and the kind of government he's putting together, sort of, uh, you know, center left, centrist. Um, 
I, I don't think it will feed the sense of, oh, you know, you're going to be living under a communist regime and these dangerous socialists. So if in fact he puts together a infrastructure week that actually is about infrastructure and <laughs> you have a big infrastructure package, if they actually do that, if they do send out those checks, it's hard for me to imagine many of those uh, Trump voters going, okay, well, this is exactly what we need to defend America against. Look, there's going to be a lot of hysteria. Um, here's a point, by the way, that I should have made much earlier in the podcast. Um, look, you know, Purdue and Leffler are not going to accept the results of this election. They're going to be like Trump, you know, so there's, there's going to be all kinds of, you know, debates about this. So they're going to continue with the, with, with the conspiracy theories. But I think you're right. I think there's an exhaustion factor. There's an exhaustion factor here that I, I don't know how, how you sustain it. But also, you know, the way Trump is ending this presidency, there were people like Hugh Hewitt and Mark Tyson, the other, you know, the, the, the you know, the turd polishers of, of the Trump era who were pleading with him in public saying, Mr. President, just go out graciously. People will love you. People will remember all the good things you did. Just don't go out as the worst possible, um, you know, sore loser. Obviously, he is not taking their advice. He's going out in. And when I say the worst possible way, I think it will get worse over the yes, next it's two not years. over. It is not over. They will move the goalposts. Anyone thinks that everybody's going to go, oh, January 6th, we said this was going to be the final vote, so we're done. No, that is not the case at all. Uh, so you're, you're, you're seeing people who have, who have looked the other way for a long time going, oh, this is just awful. So, for example, I'm looking at a tweet here, National Review, um, which is, you know, had gone, um, you know, anti-anti-Trump, pro-Trump, maybe Trump. Uh, headline, the Trump era ends in disaster in Georgia. The Washington Examiner, which uh, very, very anti-anti-Trump often, Trump and his enablers stole the Georgia elections from Republicans. The American conservative, Trump cost GOP the Senate. So to your other point, he goes out as a loser on multiple level, levels. And, and I don't know how you sustain Trump the God King when he is losing, 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 losing and bringing other people down with him. And, and this is why I went back to the Pat Robertson analogy, uh, which is really unfair to Pat Robertson, who is, you know, um, a, you know, kind of uh, uh, you know, fleecing people for years, but he's not crazy. Um, and okay, not trying to go on that one, but okay. But you know, Robertson wins in Iowa, and he becomes a kind of a force for a while. Um, but I think, um, you know, eventually it, it just, it burns itself out. Uh, and I think Trump, I think that people overestimate Trump because of a perfect storm of an election in 2016. And then they overestimated his, as you call them, the turd polishers, they overestimated their ability to have an influence on him. Let's face it, the people who would follow the kind of Pat Roberts and camp followers of, you know, whatever tr channel Trump opens on OAN or whatever it is. Um, they don't care what the Washington Examiner says. They don't care what National Review, they don't care what we say. Right. Um, they will, they may not, I mean, they will read American Greatness and pass along some of those until the funding for, yeah. for that. No, no one reads American right. Greatness. Well, no. you know, that, that it, they'll turn it into Facebook memes. Um, and then eventually that will run out of money. And, um, the, the thing eventually peters out. I think the question is how much damage gets done in, in the meantime and whether, how long it takes a center right party in America to recover. And I think one of the things that just to go back to our conservative roots, one of the things we need to say is that a big part of that is actually going to depend on our new, um, coalition partners over in the democratic party. 
because you pointed out a big part of this will be that if two years from now, Joe Biden has governed as basically a calm, sensible center left president, and we're not all in Gitmo and we're not all greeting each other with, you know, comradely, um, you know, exercises in the morning uh, and flying red flags, you know, that that's going to change a lot of the atmosphere in America. But that is beyond our control. That's that's going to be in the control of the Democrats. And that's why I think, you know, just show that you are the governing party, that you can govern like adults. I think that's what Americans, there is a coalition, not of centrists, but a coalition of Americans who are crying out for seriousness and adult leadership in a serious country. What Trump really left us with and what he's leaving us with now on the way out is convincing us that we can affirming to us that we are not a serious country, that we are not the United States of America, that we are not this majestic superpower with 230 years of, um, you know, astonishing history, that we are not, you know, the victors of World War II and the Cold War, that instead we are just this ragged, inane, half-assed reality show. And I think if the if Biden and the people around him can restore that sense of seriousness, a lot of this other stuff just fades away uh, like like morning fog. I but it's going to take a coalition effort. I couldn't agree with you more, Tom. I thought we were going to have an argument, but I think we we you know, at, at the very end we loop around and we are in the same place. So uh, again, Tom Nichols, thank you for coming back on the podcast on what is shaping up to be one of the more extraordinary days in our <laughs> political life. So thanks for coming back, Tom. Great to be back. Happy New Year to you, Charlie. And thank you for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I am Charlie Sykes. By the way, if you're listening to this, uh, we will be having a live stream, Bulwark live stream, uh, later tonight, 9 o'clock Eastern time, 8 o'clock Central time. Uh, if you are a member of Bulwark Plus, you are very much invited to join. It should be, it should be lit, given what uh, I think we are about to see. Uh, again, thank you for listening. We will be back tomorrow, and we will do this all over again.